and for you to journey with me. So we need to hear what's written in this text because it's desperately needed in the hour in which we live. John chapter number 18, verse 12, we're just picking the narrative up. We're going to walk it down, and we're going to focus on a few parts as we go. And the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus, and they bound him. And they led him, notice this, they lead him away to Annas first, who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas. They're both called the high priest, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one should die for the people. And so then in verse 15 forward, we actually see for the next, I don't know, 18 or so, 20 verses, the narrative of two stories that are unfolding in front of us. We're actually going to follow Jesus as he goes before the Sanhedrin and then ultimately is led to Pilate's judgment hall. But we also get to see Peter as he follows from afar. John here writes, and Simon Peter followed Jesus. Peter attempts to remain uh, incognito, as did another disciple, the scripture says. Most likely that disciple was John himself, the author of this gospel. That disciple was known unto the high priest. He had access unto the palace of the high priest, and he sought for Peter and to, to be allowed to come in with him. So remember, they've scattered in the night, but as the band of soldiers have brought Jesus back across the Kidron Valley, Valley into Jerusalem, they began to, a few of them, Peter, John, maybe others, kind of from afar, trying to follow to see what's going to take place. But Peter, notice this, but Peter... Standing at the door without, then went out that other disciples, brought him in. And as they're bringing him into the high priest, it says, He spake unto her that kept the door and brought into Peter. And then the damsel, notice this, this starts this in motion about looking at the narrative of Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. Be very careful judging Peter today. Because we may have denied him more times than we want to admit either as well. Come on. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself, probably covered in a cloak, probably with the hood of the cloak covering his face. He's trying to hide his identity. He cares deeply for Jesus. Jesus asked him at the end of this book, Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know that I love you. He is passionately in love with, with Christ, but he's torn. He's uh, fearful. He doesn't know what's taking place. His expectations of Jesus as the Messiah are, are hanging in the balance because the Messiah to him is a messianic king that's going to rule the nation with a rod of iron. And here Jesus has been taken captive like a common thief and is moving, being brought about with chains and, and ropes and with soldiers on either side. And now he's being questioned, verse 19, and, and the high priest asked Jesus of his disciples and his doctrine. Look at this. He asked him about his disciples and his doctrine. Now, notice this. The high priest is illegitimate. He is not of the Aaronic priesthood. He's purchased this position. He's in league with Rome. In actuality, to a degree, this is the picture of the beast and the false prophet. Being a high priest of a false prophet of a false religion and in allegiance with Rome, the Roman, uh, the empirical order of Rome. And he says something, uh, and he's asking about his doctrine and of his disciples. You better get ready, church family, because the culture in which we live want to know about 
about this group and they want to know about what do you believe. You're going to be asked. You may find yourself having to give account for why you believe. And you better know why you believe and what you believe and be able to give answer to what resides in the hope that lies within you. Anna sends him back to, sends Jesus to Caiaphas. And so there's a movement that takes place. So there's a little bit of interaction here in verses 24 and 25. Jesus responded, you know, when they asked, I spoke openly of the world. I taught in the synagogue. That's verse 20. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. And when he had thus spoken, somebody slaps Jesus. And Jesus, you know, is, is uh, calm. He's in verse 23. If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you smite me? But verse 24 then says, so then they send, Anna sends him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. So now he's transitioned from the palace of Annas unto the palace of, or the house of Caiaphas. And it's of that that I want you to begin to see because something is at work that we've got to see today because we're in desperately need of something that takes place over the next few moments when the band of soldiers begins to lead Jesus from the home of Annas to that of Caiaphas. Verse 25, Simon Peter once again stands and warms himself. And they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of the disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Wait, wait a minute, I was there. I was in the garden, and I remember you were that crazed Galilean that had a sword, and you severed the ear off of my kinfolk, and I'm, it's about to go down right here. I'm talking, it was, a, it was a kinfolk moment right there. And Peter, once again, begins to deny. Other gospel writers tell a more fuller account. Say so he began to curse and to swear and to say, I know not the man. I want to pause right there because th there is something that, that John omits that Luke records. That the Bible says that when he denies, immediately the cock crows, the rooster crows. We don't want to forget that. We're going to come back to that. But we're going to flip over to Luke's gospel for just a minute to put this narrative together and read two verses to see what happened in that moment of time. Because what you've got to see here, church family, is as they are moving Jesus from the house of, of Annas to that of Caiaphas, Peter had been in the outer court of Annas' house, warming himself by the fire. And as um, this moment occurs where he is asked by those of the, of, of the household of the high priest to Peter, I know you were with him. I saw you in the garden. And he cursed and he swore and he said, I don't even know the man. He denied knowing the man. That at that moment, now you, so you got to capture this in your mind. At that moment, this band of soldiers that's got Jesus, their prisoner, and they're walking him through the court in staves, it was staves at the side and chains on his hands and perhaps even on his feet. They bring him just close enough that as the rooster crows, so you got to see this, as the rooster crows, then the Bible says in Luke's gospel, Verse 61, the Lord turned and he looked upon Peter. So they brought him just close. Peter would have never thought that moment would occur. He's in the courtyard. He's been asked, are you one of the disciples? He's already denied him twice. And now the third time he's cursing and swearing. I don't even know who that sorry blankety blank Galilean is. And he raises his eyes up. A rooster crows and he catches the searing eyes or the compassionate eyes. Of the Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. And something happens, church family, that we are in desperate need of today. 
And it's number one, it's the power of conviction. Because when that rooster crowed and his eyes met Jesus, he remembered the word that the Lord had said to him, and he went out and he wept bitterly. And in the hour in which we live today, I have a deep-seated prayer. I've been praying this for a long time, and I want you to pray with me. And as we need in our generation a new spirit of conviction unlike any other time in the history of the United States. Because we got men and women acting a fool. We got people hurting one another, abusing one another, and their hearts are seared. They have no conscience. They will commit a crime. They will leave you in a pool of blood and take the $12.36 that they took from you into the convenience store to buy them something. And I want to pray that, God, we have the power of conviction in our generation where men and women recognize they're going to be guilty before God and they're going to have to give account before the God of heaven one day and they're going to be like Peter they're going to have to look into the eyes of the one that's looking upon them and I don't know about you I want to repent of my sins now because on that day it will be too late I wanted to do it my very best I wanted to sound like the rooster up here today I'm not a very good crower but I'm telling you I say God let the rooster crow I heard a, a, a famed evangelist from the Pentecostal movement in days gone by years ago. He was very country. He was used mightily in the ministry gifts. His name was Jack Coe. He died at the age of 39. Uh, you can Google search him and find his, his miracle ministry that he had. He was very country. I'm telling you, he wore his britches all the way up to here, and a tie went right there. A little tie went down together like that. And, uh, and so, but he was preaching and he said, I'll tell you what, he said, I may not be so educated and I may not be very articulate. He said, but Peter heard a rooster crow and got his heart right with God. I don't know about you, but we need moments like that today in this hour where men and women say, you know what? I got to get right with God. I've got to get right with God. I say, God, let the rooster crow. We need the power of conviction. Verse begins to move on. The story that unfolds. Now we jump back to John's, to John's gospel. So now they bring verses 28 forward and they bring Jesus uh, into, from Caiaphas's house to the hall of judgment. And where they were they, hoping for, uh, for, for uh, the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate to hear the accusation. Let's just read it on down. And I'm going to capture, I'm going I'm to move you pretty quickly until we get to the 37th verse. And that's where I'm going to focus on to finish this message out. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas, verse 28, unto the hall of judgment. And it was early. They themselves went not into the judgment hall lest they should be defiled, but they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? And they answered and said, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Right? That's what they're in their perception. And then Pilate said unto them, Take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate's not really concerned about a religious issue. He's only concerned about civil order. He's only concerned about uh, what, what, what concerns the Roman Empire. He's, he's not really concerned about, about Judaism or uh, any such thing. He's not concerned about the Torah. He's not concerned about the sacrifices. He's not concerned about anything like that. He would have known. I got to thinking about this, though, in just a moment. He would have known a little bit because as the Roman procurator, they would have instructed him about some of the religious views of the Pharisees and the Sadducees making up the Sanhedrin. And so he would have known a little bit about Jewish messianic expectation, which they were always hoping to suppress because 
because a leader could emerge among them and lead a revolution. So they were always hoping to stamp it out. But you know what? He was probably unaware of shame. He was probably unaware of Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that had taken place 400 years earlier. Because in that dream, the prophet Daniel saw a golden statue that had feet and legs of iron and clay that represented Rome. But here's what Daniel saw in that dream. He saw that that, that, that empire would be smitten by a stone that was cut without hands. And that Daniel said not only would it be a stone cut without hands, he said that stone would become a great mountain and it would fill the whole earth. And how many of you know that stone was standing in front of Pontius Pilate that day? A stone cut without hands. And Jesus responds to the things that it was asking him of. Art thou a king? That's what he asked in the 33rd verse. Art thou the king of the Jews? Say this, of your, uh, this thing of yourself. Verse 34, did others tell it to thee? Pilate said, I'm a Jew. He said, am I a Jew? I'm not a Jew. You're a Jew. Your own nation, chief priests, have delivered thee unto me. So let's focus here, th- verses 36 and 37. And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Notice the word now. At that particular moment, Jesus simply is saying that the kingdom of God that he preached did not come with observation. It did not come with, with, with geographical boundaries. It was not a physical realm. Jesus himself said that the kingdom of God was within you. Right? It still is to this day, right? And we believe in the kingdom of God. It's an invisible kingdom of God that we hope to see established on the earth. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, what do you pray? You say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. You say, God, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so you and I pray to advance this invisible kingdom that's not here now, but it is coming. We pray, God, your, your kingdom come in our generation, our family, our home, and our communities. And we recognize that the kingdom of God is only advanced by prayer, by preaching, and good works. That's how the kingdom of God advances, correct? We don't advance the kingdom of God with the sword, do we, church family? We don't wet our sword as jihadists, as Islamic extremists uh, and, and, and w- in comparison. And we do not advance the kingdom of God by the sword other than the sword of the Spirit. Now, we do advance the kingdom of God by the sword of the Spirit because I believe that this is the greatest weapon that's in the earth today. Right? Greater than any nuclear weapon. Greater than any arm, armor uh, vehicle as a defense. Greater than any uh, AR-15. Anything that, that they're debating in Congress. I'm telling you, if you've got the word of God, come on somebody. You've got the greatest weapon. We advance it as a sword, right? We advance it spiritually. But we don't draw human weapons to advance the kingdom of God. I did put a question down, though. It's a fair question. But can the kingdom of God be defended by the sword? I know it cannot be advanced, but what about defended? It's a question we may all soon have to face. Verse 37 then, Pilate looks at him. Art thou a king then? And this is where I want you, this is what got in my spirit to cause me to bring you to this right here. Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth, everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. So number two today, 
and the things that we need, we desperately need in this hour, we need to bear witness to the truth. In the depraved culture that you referenced earlier today, Jace, the thing that we need today is to have the courage to be like Jesus, and that is to bear witness to the truth. See, I believe that there's the truth of God that's related to, between God and man. I believe that there's a, a universal truth that is concerning God's expectation for man, the origin of man, man's purpose, man's fall in the garden, God's intent for redemption, God's expectation for man on the earth, God's expectation and how God can relate to him and follow him. Man has known it, held it, grasped it, lost it, searched for it, been misdirected away from it. But there seems to be in my heart of hearts, there is a central truth that we can all have access to if we'll believe. I believe that was my heart. Jesus said, if you hear my voice, then you'll know the truth. And so religion and superstition will change the truth into a lie. The Jewish people who had received the Torah were a light to the blind. But their own religion had become so broken and maligned that it needed reformation and reproval to which Christ did. But Jesus said this passionately. I don't know about you, but I hear that echoing in my spirit. In the hour in which we live in today, with all the falsehoods, with all the mindsets, with everything that is going on in the minds of people, we need believers to know in what they believe, to be firmly persuaded in what they believe, to know the truth, to buy the truth, and sell it not, to stand for the truth, and say to this very end, I was born. The truth. Do you believe in the truth today? I believe in the truth. The world needs to hear the truth. Don't we speak the truth in love? Aren't we called to? We're called to hold to the truth. Jesus said this. Jesus is aware of this universal need and pursuit for the truth that he has finally and eternally revealed. Everyone that is of the truth hears his voice. If you're of the truth, you can hear the voice of Jesus calling you to be who God's called you to be. You know, there's a reason why some people look at the same things that you and I. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't see how that people can look at the, at the atrocious uh, practice and procedure of abortion and not say that's not right. I don't see how that people can see that. But you know why? The reason why? It's because they're not of the truth. But if you're of the truth, you can see differently, right? And you can hear his voice and say, no, I, no, no, that, that, that can't be right. Come on, somebody. Amen. And I'm telling you, this is, that's just one thing I'm just trying to highlight. Those are cultural issues. And I'm saying desperately in the hour in which we live in today, you and I have to be courageous enough to stand in front of even those, our accusers, and say, I believe in the truth. I want you to know today just one of the simple truths that you and I believe in so dearly that is, 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 is being uh, contended with. It's just that we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That if anybody has access, let me just go ahead and tell you today, they may have made a movie, all dogs go to heaven, but all folks ain't going to heaven. If you don't come in through the door, Jesus said, I'm the door. If you don't come in through the door, you have no access way to God. You may have good works, you may be kind, but let me tell you what you are. You're still a sinner in need of a Savior. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you can puff yourself up so high and think that you don't need to repent. But I came along to tell you today that you do need to repent. You need to ask God forgiveness. You need to believe God for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he will welcome you into God's eternal kingdom. That's the only way. Come on. 
That's the only way. That's the truth. That's a part of the truth that Jesus came to share. And so when Jesus referenced truth, I want you to know that the reference to truth connected him to the many teachings that he had shared over the last three and a half years. To one that I want to allude to very quickly. I'm not going to preach much longer, but I want you to hear this. In John chapter number 3, let's post that one if we can, thank you. John chapter number 3, verse 19, read this with me. And this is condemnation, that light is coming to the world. Light is in the world, church family. He is the light of the world, right? But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. Just a minute, pause right there before we read the 21st verse. Let me tell you, if you think in your mind, you say, Pastor Brown, what is the opposite of evil? Well, obviously, it's got to be good. No. No, there's a lot of folks that have good things to do, good things to say, and good works. But the opposite of evil is not good. The opposite of evil, verse number 21, is this. But he that doeth the truth... Jesus didn't say, he that doeth good. He said, he that doeth the truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. He that doeth the truth is the individual that gets up every day, every day and says, Father, I am not my own. You bought me with a price. I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. I was lost in my wicked sin. But you found me. You redeemed me. You washed me. You consecrated me. You changed my life. And I'm going to go out into this dark world and I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. I'm going to stand for what you stand for. I'm going to believe in what you've encouraged me to believe. I'm going to read and meditate. I'm going to do everything for the glory of an omnipotent omnipotent, awesome God. That's he that doeth the truth. Yeah, you can stand on the corner and you can give all your goods away and you can be involved in all these social activities and I'm not trying to tell you not to, but if your motive is not to honor God, Jesus himself, when was posted, will watch the greatest commandment. He said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. We're moved by these convictions inside of us, church family, to be all that God has called us to be. We do have good works, but our, do, our good works represent the convictions of honoring God, standing for the truth of God. Come on, I believe that today. Now let's go a little bit farther. So in light of that, real quickly, as I prepare to close, I believe that the true worshipers in the hour in which we live, the, live today are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I believe today that if you say you have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, you are lying and you are not doing the truth. Let me go ahead and just say that again today. There's a lot of people that bought the t-shirt, got the necklace, and wearing the wristband, walking around like they're all holy and they're Christian and they're all this, and you are not walking in the light. If you are not walking in the light, you don't even know him. You don't know him, and you're not walking in the truth, and that's the truth of the gospel. There will always be those who pervert the truth, who twist the scriptures, who manipulate the word of God. There will be seducers. If I remember correctly, Paul warned us that in the last days, perilous times shall come. 
dangerous times. Seducers of devils and uh, seducers uh, of demonic spirits, deceiving and being deceived, the Scripture says. So two things that I believe that every believer needs deeply in their heart in order for us to be able to stand for the truth. Number one, very quickly, just kind of connecting this as subpoints beneath those two main points, you got to know the Scriptures. Let me go ahead and tell all the 23 folks that just joined the church, you will forever be learning the Word of Almighty God. You will forever be studying the Word of God. You will be hiding the Word in your heart so that you will not sin against God. That from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, and they will make you wise unto salvation. They are profitable for your instruction, for righteousness, for your correction, for you to become the man or the woman of God in, in, in being who God's called you to be. But you've got to know the Word. You got to get the word in your heart and mind. You got to get alone with God. You got to think about the word, pray over the word, and meditate upon the word of God. What a shame in our generation. We got the word at every available tool. We've got it. You can. You say, Pastor, I don't read very well. Then you get to listen. Thank God. You say, Pastor, my mind moves to and fro, and I don't, I, you know, the, all the reading and things of that nature. You've got all these tools. It's our responsibility to say, I've got to put myself in the place where I can hear the Word of God. I hear it. I meditate on it. I think on it. I say, God, let me know it, God, because I want to know the truth of the Word of God. I've got to know the Scriptures. Blessed is the man whose mind has stayed on the Lord. Right, the Bible says that I will rejoice at that word as a man that found great spoil. When I was a young man, I saw that verse of Scripture, and I thought about that. And I'm, it was almost at one level, just one level above poverty. And I had a large family, and I said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to rejoice at the Word of God as if somebody knocked on my door and gave me a million dollars. I'm more wealthy if I have the truth of the Word of God than any resources that I can have on this side of eternity. And I thank God for His Word, and I want you to thank God for it as well. I want you to know the Word. Right. Only when you know the word can you be who God's called you to be. Only when you know the word can you fight your own battle. Let me tell you, all 23 of you that join this church today, we will stand and we will fight with you. But we will also pray God train their hands to fight. If you'll get a word in your spirit, you don't always have to call the prayer team to pray for you. Because you can get up in the middle of the night and you can say, I come today in the name of the Lord of hosts. I know in whom I have believed. I'm anointed of God. I demand the devil to, come on somebody. You will know spiritual warfare because you will know who you are, who you've been empowered to be, what you can accomplish through Christ. Right? Because you know the word. You know God's intent and his purposes for you. And you won't always be dependent upon somebody to do it for you. Why should somebody have to do for you what you can do for yourself? Let's break away from this dependency, you know, era that we live in where everybody's got to do it for us. You know what? You're going to stand before God alone. Then might as well say, God, let me do what you call me to do right now. And be who God's called me to be. And I can't do it if I don't know the word. I'm telling you, the word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will cause your heart to rejoice. When you really get the, when you really begin to study it out, I'm telling you, when God leaves you something in the field, he drops a word down in your heart, you will run and shout. You say, Pastor, I'm quiet. You'll be quiet till God puts a hot coal on the inside of you. Jeremiah said, I tried to shut up. I tried to not get loud. I tried not to preach. But his word was like fire. Shut up in my bones. And I could not be still. And I could not be quiet. I want you to know today, the generation in 
which we live deserves and demands a man or a woman anointed of the Spirit of God with a word in their heart that they're unashamed of. Glory to God. Unashamed of it in Jesus' name. We're radicals. Lastly today, second sub-point under the main two points, you've got to have the anointing of God on your life. I just had to fold it in there, Shane. You just got to have it. The Spirit of God will change your life. Some of you were scared to come down here amongst us Pentecostals because you felt like we were crazy. And you know what? We are. We are. So we sold ourselves out a long time ago. But I want you to know when the Spirit of God comes upon you and the anointing of God comes upon you, it will change who you are. It will give you an ability to love people that you would not ordinarily love. It will give you ability to do things you would not ordinarily do. Come on. Right? It will give you an ability to say things. You will have a prophetic word. We as pastors and leaders, we constantly say that to you. You have a prophetic word. What does that mean? How, how do we get so quiet on that? Y'all should have been said, that's right, Pastor Brown. That's exactly, you have a prophetic word, Chris. You can create the power of life is in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. You can change the course of your children's destinies when you speak prophetically over them in the name of Jesus. You can speak a shield about them. You can pray for God to give you an ability to do things because the anointing of God. What is the anointing, Pastor? You're talking about? I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you be ashamed of the Holy Spirit of God. I know we're all still learning and walking and growing and we want to walk in the Spirit and all of our uh, experiences with the Spirit of God differ and I never want to measure you up beside somebody else. I don't want to prop this one up and put this one down. But I want to say this, it's individually. Every one of us should say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, put that anointing. Do you know what it means to have the anointing on your life? I'm telling you, when you have the anointing on your life, you have a confidence that's not found in you. It's found in him, right? It's the anointing. It's an empowering moment. That story is so told so often, just very quickly. I'm not going to repeat it today. But you think about that for a moment. And that is one of the most famous of all stories in the Word of God is when David stood across the battlefield from Goliath. We taught it to children. We tell some pretty grotesque stories to children, don't we? Right? I mean, David chopped his head off and then stood on his body. Right, post that on the nursery, you know. Baker, why didn't you put that on the mural when you put it up? You gave us monkeys. Should have had David standing there like this, right here. So welcome to First Assembly, right here. <laughs> David was a shepherd. He wasn't trained in warfare. He had never fought a single man. But the prophet had come to him popped open the horn of oil and poured it on his head and it flowed down like it did on Caleb that night. Flowed down on his head, on his shoulders and all the way down to the border of his garment. And from that day forward, the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him. And when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it gives you a confidence. A confidence to face the... We all face issues. We all have challenges. We have demons that we fight. We have habits that we need to break. And we have skeletons in the closet to overcome. We have issues with our family and issues on the job. But when you've got an anointing on your life, you know that by the power of Christ, you are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. And I see that. And you may not see it, but I see it in the text. 
Because Jesus looked at Pontius Pilate, who stood there in front of his throne in the judgment hall, and he looked at him, and he said, Art thou king? And he said, Thou sayest. He said, But to this end I was born, that I would give witness to the truth. And I want you to know today, God's called you and I to give witness to the truth. In order for us to give witness to the truth, which is desperately needed in this hour, is it not? Well, President Trump used to call it fake news. There's a lot of fake news that's beyond just the newscast. There's a lot of falsehoods that are being shared today. But I believe that, that the scriptures reveal the truth. And God's calling us to speak the truth and to speak it in love. Jesus survived his hour. He glorified God. My question is, what about you? Can you face the hour of darkness that we live in in the earth today with the knowledge that God's called you to be a light, to stand up and to speak up, and to be a bright and shining light for those that are around you. If not, it's time for us. You know what we need? We need conviction in the church as much as we do. In the, the Bible says, and I'm closing now, and Daryl, join me on the platform if you would real quick as I give this invitation here today. And then we're going to do water baptism, and it's 1138, and I've only preached for 40 minutes today. It's a miracle record. It's a record. We need to have folks join the church more often if that keeps me preaching shorter. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad. Thank you for not saying amen. Then our Billy got one right there. <laughs> Let's be real serious for just a moment of time. I did a funeral on Friday. It's a really tough one. It's a young, it was, it was a young 55-year-old lady that survived, survived a difficult moment in the hospital with a uh, just something I will retain as private. And got out and two days later had a massive heart attack. And I'm just going to be honest. The reason I'm going to put this up. So after I shared, and there's, there's just a lot of things that's limited. The crowd was mixed. It, um, just, 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 just a difficult thing. So I'm tell you. And, but I, but I. We turned it from a funeral to a memorial service. Her kids stood up and spoke and everything. And, and, and then we let others come. And this one in particular, and she wasn't mean or anything of that nature. And she was lighthearted, said some good things. But she talked about that there was a certain place where this individual always went every Thursday night. And it was a certain bar, the bar stool. And she said, we're going to head over there as soon as this service is over, and we're going to have food and plenty of cocktails for everybody. And the point, I'm, why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up is because the lady that passed away struggled with so many areas in her life, so many strongholds. And we're going to kind of glorify the things that led to some of those strongholds in order to honor her. It just was so, that, the world is just wacky. Wacky, just bro, just broken, just broken, and we have. It's almost like, and we it's the 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 lack of conviction, conviction. I remember I've told this story before. What is conviction? Conviction is when you know. Peter looked in the eyes of Jesus, and he knew, he knew, and he went out and he just he wept bitterly. 
I've told this story before. I know it seems so trivial, but I remember when I was in the third grade, Cushman, Arkansas. I was always a good student. But for whatever reason, that particular day, there's a little girl that was sitting beside me, and she decided to erase some answers and change her answers. And I was just eight years old. I saw her. I'd missed a couple, so I did too. She got caught. I didn't. Teacher, you know how the teachers in days gone by, they could just, Julie, could you do this? Kind of shame that student. You know, it's like, I'm so disappointed in you. And she just started crying, the little girl. Well, I got 100 on the test. That's what you'd think. But I'm sitting there at my desk, and my heart is just pounding. Eight years old, just pounding. And after about 10 minutes, I couldn't handle it anymore. And I got up, and I went, it seemed like 227 yards from my desk, little desk, to the teacher's desk. Her name was Miss Franks. And I said, Miss Franks, I changed answers too. Under, I know it seems so small. And she looked at me and she said, I was just bragging on you this morning to some of those other teachers. I'm so disappointed. My heart just wrenched, wrenched inside of me. What was that to an eight-year-old little boy? It's the power of conviction. I knew that I needed to be accountable to those, and I had breached what they expected of me. It's almost gone in the American culture today. It is, isn't it? It's sad. It's tragic. We need to pray for it today. Can we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment? We know we're going to have water baptism in just a few minutes. Matter of fact, we're on such a pace that just shortly after 12, everything will be over and you'll be in the car going home. As I have, you, have your heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know who I'm preaching to today. There's a vast audience of people today. You surprise me every week. But I don't know what the Spirit of God could be doing in your life. I don't know. Is there something in your life that you need to repent of? Is there something in your life that you just say, Pastor, I need to get right with God on? You know, I'm going to confess openly to you that are listening to me today as a pastor. I've been a teacher and not a reacher. But I have really been praying here lately, God, help me to reach people. I've, I've struggled, but I want to give invitation. I want to create an avenue where somebody under the sound of my voice, man, if you're away from the Lord today, if you heard me preach and I didn't sound like anything but a rooster crowing, if that moved your heart, then thank God today.